You are listening to sermon audio from Fort Myers Community Church. For more information about how to get involved in the life of this church family, please visit www.fmcc.life. Good morning. I feel there are some in here that are have a burden on them this morning, so I want to go to prayer a little bit and just ask the Holy Spirit to minister to our hearts. Holy Spirit, you are the great counselor and the great healer, and I know there are some in this room that uh, have sadness and, uh, and maybe burdens, and you promise us that uh, if we just sit and let you search our hearts, that you will take them to the Holy Father. So Lord, let us just uh, be quiet for a few seconds. Let, uh, let your Holy Spirit search us for those that are burdened or in sadness or have news that uh, just weakens them for a moment. May you, Holy Spirit, strengthen them. We thank you in the sufficiency and the supremacy of Christ in all things. Amen. Good morning. <clears throat> Last week... Uh, Bill used a word I have thought about all week. And the beautiful thing, because he always does this, but the beautiful thing, he used it right in a society that uses it wrong. And so I got home this week. We talked about it in our community group on Sunday afterwards. And I got home, I started looking at this name, and I just started typing it in searches and Reddit and magazines. And he used this word toward the end of his sermon. He, he asked if, if we're enamored with Christ. And what's interesting, if you look at how that word today is used in a lot of secular magazines, it's really, we've created it to be a synonym for infatuated. Totally wrong. It's not what the word means. If you take that word and you look back to the old English word that it comes from, it means to be kind of totally encapsulated with the one that you show affection and love to. And he used it that way about Christ. And today we're going to look at a lady in the Bible that very little is said about. You could probably read about Mary Magdalene in 90 seconds. But when we look at the truth that the Holy Spirit shows us about her, one experience in her life enamored her for all of eternity to Jesus Christ. And it's really interesting what the Holy Spirit does here. Because he shows us just a little bit of who she was before. And really just a little bit of who she was after. But what he shows us is absolutely stunning, amazing, and I hope for all of us somewhat humbling. Because this is a woman that is amazingly enamored with her Savior and her Lord and the God that she loves. I'm going to read uh, Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through 3, and then we will get into the study. This is what the Word of God says. Soon afterward, he went on through the cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out, and Joanna, the wife of Chosa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. Praise be to God's word. I titled this, From Torment to a Loving 
follower, and I'll get into that. What do we know about Mary Magdalene? We really don't know a lot. She's mentioned in about 15 verses. Uh, but we know a little bit about where she came from. She came from a town called Magdala. And Magdala is, is found up on the northwest corner of the Sea of Galilee. And the word Magdala stands for tower or castle. And in some old writings, you'll actually find that it's called the Tower of Fishes. And so it was a big fishing town, was one thing. So you can kind of understand where they got the Tower of Fishes. And if they talk about a tower or a castle of fishes, it must have been a really good fishing town. They were also very well known for making dyes and making textiles. And being that, remember, this is 2,000 years ago. They don't have superhighways and they don't have cars. This was a major highway coming out of Asia Minor through uh, what is now Iran and Iraq and coming south down to Jerusalem. And remember, in those days, you traveled by foot or camels or by horses, so you had to stay close to water. So this was actually a crossroad to um, to finances and to industry because of a town located on clear water where you could drink. There's some pictures up there too if they want to show them. It was destroyed in AD 67 during the beginning of the Jewish revolt and the Jewish revolt led to the destruction of Jerusalem uh, and the destruction of the temple. So it's at the very beginning. Uh, what do we know about Mary Magdalene? We know, we just read that she had seven demons and we'll talk about that here in a little bit. She had some degree of wealth or a lot of resources uh, before and after her experiences because we're going to find out she actually, with her own resources, sponsored Jesus' ministry. She paid for a lot of what happened when she began to follow him. I do want to clear this up, though, because Mary Magdalene has probably been one of the most misunderstood, misunexplained women in all of Scripture. There is no evidence at all from Scripture or early church history that Mary Magdalene was immoral or a prostitute before Christ saw her. Uh, this misinformation came along several centuries after the death of the last apostle. And if you actually read the early church fathers, the church fathers that wrote in uh, 100 and 200 B.C., they had great respect for this lady. When you go back and you read Luke 8 in John chapter 19 and 20, and we'll look at those today, they had glowing uh, admiration for this woman. And I'm going to read some poetry that came from that time all about Mary Magdalene. Okay? They didn't make romancer, but they, they did proper exegesis and hermeneutics of scripture and said, look, what this, look how Jesus saw this woman. Look how the apostles saw this woman. Her place in scripture, she's mentioned 14 times. Eight of the 14 are in connection with other women. And of those eight of the 14, she is always mentioned first, which is really important when you look at Greek writing. The most important person is always mentioned first. If you, if you read the, the Gospel of John and, you, and you, uh, you study it well, John speaks of himself that way. Have you ever, how many people read the Gospel of John? John always says this. He doesn't say his, same, his name by I, John. He says, the one who loved Christ. That's how John describes himself. So Mary Magdalene, eight out of 14 times, she's always ahead of the list. Five times alone out of those 14 is at the resurrection 
and the death of Christ. And we're going to look at that because that's where we really see her story. That's where we really see who Mary Magdalene is. It's where we really see that she's enamored and fully in love and treasures her Lord. So today's focus is going to be on two things. We're going to look at Mary's experience before and with Jesus, really fairly short. And then we're going to look at Mary's experience in her new life after encountering Jesus. So turn back to Luke chapter 8, and we'll look at this. Chapter 3, or excuse me, Luke chapter 8, verse 2 says, And also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. So there's Mary Magdalene. She's this woman, whatever she does, she's troubled. She has seven demons, not just one. And seven, everywhere in seven in the Bible, there is some symbolism we need to put to it as, as much as literalism. When we look at seven, seven in Greek and Jewish uh, symbolism or numbers is per- perfect or complete. And so what, what Luke is telling us here is Mary Magdalene was completely under the control of seven demons. Now today... We don't look at demons the same way. We're smarter. We call demons sickness. And we talk about it as mental health issues. Problem is, our Savior, he called them by name. So we think about her. She's tormented perfectly by seven, seven demons. In all indications, again, this is a very successful woman. She has resources. She's probably a very successful single woman because the minute she was experienced, she just got a been left. She didn't have anything holding her. But in that, whatever she was, whatever she did, maybe she was in fishing, maybe she was in dye making, maybe she was in textiles. Whatever she did, she woke up every day, 24 hours a day, 365 days of the year, frustrated in anger, frightened, tormented. Probably days she didn't even want to get out of bed because she was afraid of what was going to happen. Probably days that maybe started out good and then all of a sudden the, the, uh, the, the influence of the demons caused the day to go way off track. Imagine doing that. This could have been going on her whole life. We know it was going on at the time that Christ met her. Imagine what she went through. Imagine the exhaustion she must have felt. Imagine the frustration of, I don't even want to wake up again. If she was in a family business or she had a business of her own, imagine that she didn't even want to do what she probably loved. And then one day, on a chance encounter, a chance encounter for her, a a sovereignly divine predestined encounter for Jesus. From all indications, he visited Magdala right after the feeding of the 4,000. He crossed the Sea of Galilee, went in there. That's probably maybe where he met Mary. Remember two weeks ago, we talked about the centurion. He didn't even have to, he didn't have to go to heal, right? He simply healed from a distance because he's God. 
But think about Mary Magdalene. Jesus is walking through the town of Magdala. Mary Magdalene's maybe probably having one of her bad days, maybe one of her worst days. And maybe it was a look. Maybe Jesus made eye contact with Mary. Maybe it was simply a touch. Maybe it was simply Jesus walking by because, again, there's very little occasion of their first encounter. He could have walked by and just said, Mary and demons get out of Mary. They're gone. Instantaneous. The creator of the universe speaks and all of creation follows. It could have been a look. He didn't have to say anything. He could, they could have made eye contact. And the demons could have recognized Christ and fled. The thing that Mary did is she recognized it. She recognized it. And what did she do? She dropped everything. Everything. And followed Jesus. And not only did she follow him, she supported him. She traveled with the twelve, and it looks like three other women, at the very minimum, because he says, and other women. They took care, they did the cooking, they did the mending, uh, things that a Jewish woman would do in that time. Um, But they never left the ministry. They were committed. Her singular focus, so if you look at, look at the imagine, that smile, that word, it's all gone. Then in Mary, she expressed this out of a sacrificial love to Christ, a loving devotion to Christ, and a persevering devotion to Christ. All emanating from the love and the treasure that she found the day he cured her. And we see that all the way to the end of where she's mentioned. So that's her experience. Let's look at this new life after experiencing Jesus. We're going to look at Luke 8, and then we're going to go to John 19 and 20. There's three things that we see in her life. She's dedicated, and she's constantly in community. She's there in the very toughest of times. She doesn't leave. In one amazing conversation, she sees the first created human being that sees the risen Christ. There's something amazing about that. We'll look at that. So let's look at this dedication to community. We looked a little bit out of it. Luke 8, 3, she left her home and she financially supported Christ. There's a really, really good uh, series going on. How many of you guys have watched Chosen? Okay. Uh, as an as a, uh, amateur theologian, some that likes to study the Bible and some that loves to study church history, I've actually very much enjoyed that series, except for one event. There's one part in the series, and I'm sorry, it's going to be a spoiler alert for some of you, but it makes a point that I'm trying to make in this sermon. Uh, Mary Magdalene, a, a, a tormented, demon-possessed man, comes into the camp, and that strikes Mary Magdalene, and she leaves and flees. 
and it shows that she kind of goes back to her old way of living, and they show her old way of living as being a gambler in some pretty rough bars. And I get that, and I can understand how they may have tied that together over a 1,000 years of history. I think it's just a 1,000 years of bad history that they made that tie together because there's just no indication of that. There's no indication, number one, that she ever left Christ's side or the, or the 12. She was always part of that community. And I'll defend my opinion of that when we look at 19 and 20. She's formed some really, really deep relationships that only hold up when you go through Really, really difficult times. Okay. We'll see that in the crucifixion story. She's there in the tough times. So turn to John chapter 19, if you want to. We're going to go to, uh, we're going to start in verse 20. Let's start in verse, the end of 16 and the beginning of 17. So John chapter 19, the end of 16. This is what God's word says. So he took Jesus and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of skull, which in Aramaic is called Galagatha. There they crucified him and with him two others, one on either side and Jesus between them. Pilate, who wrote an inscription and put it on the cross, it read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Many of the Jews read the inscription, for the place where he, Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Aramaic, in Latin, and in Greek. And so the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but rather this man said, I am king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture, which says, they divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things. Verse 25, but standing by the cross of Jesus was his mother, and his mother's sister, Mary, wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene walked from the trial to the crucifixion. Mary Magdalene stood by Mary, the mother of Jesus, during the trial and the crucifixion. Mary took the body of Christ off the cross. That's devotion. That's community going through tough times. When we look at a woman that would do that, she, would, she, she didn't think about this. Who ran and hid during that time? Who was not there? Peter. Peter wasn't there, was he? Who was there? The mother, the aunt. In this tormented, ex-demon-possessed woman that Jesus just looked on with love and said, come follow me. She's there. Peter's. Peter's gone somewhere. He's in hiding. Danger is just as much for the two, Mary, Mother Jesus, 
the aunt and Mary Magdalene, the same danger existed for them. Mary was known to be a follower. Everybody knew who the mother of Jesus was. But at the, at the, the darkest period in human history, who was there? Demon-possessed woman from a fishing town in northwest Galilee, who for we own home, how long was tormented by demons. And the creator of the universe, the very same Jesus that said, sun come up in the west, humidity in Fort Myers will be 89 today. It'll be not a bad day southwestern Florida. Go and enjoy it. That same Jesus said, Mary, come follow me. And she was there, right up to the death. When you read that, you have a really hard time thinking she ever left his side. That deep of love, you don't stray. That deep of being enamored to somebody that took away torment, you don't walk away from. There's an old poem about her that says this. Not she with, tra- with traitorous kiss her master stung. Not she denied him with unfaithful tongue. She, when apostles fled, could dangers brave. Last at the cross, earliest at the grave. So we see her right up to the death. Then we see another very astonishing thing. If you understand um, the Jewish culture, in first century. And we see amazing conversation at the tomb. So if you want to, we're going to go to John chapter 20. So the story goes, I'm going to pick it up in 11, but I'll give you the background story. The background story, if you harmonize all the gospels, is that Mary is the first to the tomb and it's empty. And it's actually Mary and other women. And they're coming to the tomb to anoint and clean the body of Christ what you do. Most indications of all the Gospels say they came alone, which is amazing in and of itself. Because it's early in the morning and it's dark. And in that day and age, Jewish women did not travel by themselves long distances for two reasons. Just wasn't done. And number two, where are they going? They're going to a graveyard. And they're going to clean a body. And Jewish tradition, you did not allow women to go somewhere without a man if it was going to lead them to be defiled, and they were going to be defiled. But by all indications, these three ladies went on their own. Devotion to the one they loved. They didn't care about tradition. They didn't care what other people would say. Kind of like the Samaritan woman. After her, after her uh, encounter with Christ, did she care what anybody said? No, she went basically running through the streets talking about this marvelous man that knew everything about her. Fifteen minutes before that, she had a whole lot of sin confronted, didn't she? As soon as she understood who Jesus was, what did she do? She went screaming through wrong teaching Samaria, talking about the Messiah being here. These women didn't care either. I got to expect the grief that was going on early that morning. Because we're going to see they didn't understand anything. (laughs) 
out of all that time, two years, three years with Christ, they still didn't get it. We're going to see this beautiful conversation here a minute where Mary Magdalene just doesn't get it. But they went anyways. Tombs open. They run back. Peter and John come running. That's where we're going to pick the story up. So Peter and John come in in the first part of 20. They leave. Verse 11, I'm going to read and unpack at the same time. So Mary is alone again in, at the side of the tomb. But Mary stood weeping. Uh, the word weeping there is extreme grief. Outside the tomb, as she, as she wept, she stood and, and looked in the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And that's exactly the way they said it, in a very kind, rebuking way. Woman, why are you weeping? Uh, It's a very mild rebuke. She said to them, they have taken away my Lord. And I don't know where they have laid him. Look what she called him. She didn't say they had taken away Jesus. She didn't say they had taken away my friend. They said, she said, they have taken away, singular pronoun, my Lord. That's how Mary saw Jesus, as her Lord. I don't know where they have laid him, still confused, To her, Jesus is still dead. They stole the body. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing. Look what it says, though. But she did not know it was Jesus. Still a lack of understanding. Still can't recognize somebody she spent days and weeks and years with. Right? Jesus said to her, same thing, in in the same kindly rebuking way, Woman, why are you weeping? Why are you whooping, Mary? You heard me preach the Sermon on the Mount. You heard me talk to the 5,000. You heard me talk to you people all the time. Mary, Mary, what don't you understand? Then she goes, who are you seeking? I love what comes next. Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, Tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. What happened? What happened when he said those words? She turned and said to him, Rabbana, teacher. One word, her name, opened her eyes the God she loves. Think back, every one of us, think back to the time when Jesus called you by name. You were listening to a sermon. You were on your knees in the middle of a floor crying, arguing with Adrian Rogers. Adrian, you got to be wrong. Can't take the Bible literally. Because I was growing up, you didn't take the Bible literally. It was just part of a tradition. At some point in time, Jesus said, Ed. And you saw Jesus. 
one point in time, Jesus said, carry, and you saw Jesus. Think about Lazarus sitting in that tomb. Lazarus was decomposing. Remember what Lazarus' sister says, don't roll away that thing, he stinks. They rolled it away. Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. Pow, totally brand new man. All the decay, completely over. Why? Because the creator of the universe, who said, let there be light, and it was light. Let there be a green tree, there was a green tree. Let there be a bacteria, there's a bacteria. Let there be a honeybee, there's a honeybee. Said, Lazarus, come forth, completely healed, and he walks out of the tomb. The remarkable thing about this story is who is Jesus showing his resurrection to first? Not Peter. If you follow the story, Peter, he has to ask three times, Peter, do you love me? All he has to say to Mary is, Mary. And what does she do? She clings to him. She holds him tight. Why? A little while before, he's my Lord. For years, I was tormented by demons. And all this man had to do was love me. And the demons were gone. And they've never, ever come back. Why? Because he loved me. Pure and simple. There's not a complicated theology in this. Excuse me. It's a very simple, simple theology. God first loved us so we could love him. Pretty simple theology. Self-existing. No need for anything. You can't add to God. Exists as God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit has always existed because time exists because God wants time to exist. An eternal self-existing being doesn't need time. It's no matter to him. But he created it for little points of life. And one is Mary. Mary. Eyes open. Robonde. My teacher. My Lord. And she doesn't want to let go of him. I bet you right then and there, if Jesus looked down to him and said, hey, I'm going to heaven, she would have go, I ain't letting go. Do we feel that way now? I know there's, there's times in our lives, and I know there's times right now people are going, there's that sadness in their lives and there's struggles in their life. Are you clinging to Christ like Mary clinged to Christ? There's another poem written by uh, Romanus Melodius uh, in A.D. 55. He who searches the hearts and reigns and watches over them, knowing that Mary recognizes his voice like a shepherd calls his crying, calls his crying lamb, saying, Mary, she at once recognized him and spoke. Surely my wonderful shepherd calls me. In order from this time forward, he may number me among the nine and ninety-nine lambs. For I see behind him who calls me the body of saints, the ranks of the just. And so I do not say, who art thou who calls me? 
for I know clearly who he is that calls me. It is my teacher. It is my Lord. He who offers resurrection to the following. Mary responded, totally out of love, enamored. Paul, as I was going through this week, um, chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians kept coming back. Paul writes to us, If I speak with tongues of men and of angels and do not have love, I become a noisy gong and a clinging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned but do not love, it profits me nothing. Love is patient, love is kind, and is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own, it is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered. Does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. But if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. If there are gifts of tongue, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully just as I was just as I also have been fully known. But now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. What we see in the story of Mary Magdalene and her story, devotion emitting from love of Christ. Faith carried along by love of Christ. Bravery produced by the love of Christ. An old life transformed into a new life by the love of Christ, evidenced by Mary's love for Christ. Let us pray. Oh, Holy Spirit, thank you for this story. Thank you for Scripture. Oh, God, thank you for being a father that wants us to know him, and you have wrote so much about you for us to see and us to love and us to be enamored with. Lord, let us uh, rest in the day that you said Tim or you said Bill or you said Tori or you said Vanessa. Let us cling to that. Let us cling to you as our only hope. Father, uh, Grow us up. Uh, let us desire to see you deeper, but also give us peace and give us a joy that only comes through you. We thank you, Father, for your word, and we thank you in the sufficiency and the supremacy of your Son in all things. Amen.